one word for us this morning uh, from just an introduction on our theme. Our, our theme is worship. And I would like you to just look at Luke 10, uh, 38. Luke 10, 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now uh, worship is when in our attitude, a certain attitude of respect and fear of God um, is in the atmosphere. It's in our hearts and it's in the atmosphere. Let, let, let me say one thing about there was a time in Jesus' ministry when he went into Jerusalem and he looked around at the temple and the courtyard and he became angry. And remember he said, this is a den of thieves and robbers. Do you remember that text? Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Uh, this is a den, and and what did he do? He turned the tables over, and uh, these weren't card tables, by the way. They're they're like like stone tables, uh, permanent, like part of the furniture. And he was uh, powerful, he was angry, and he turned over. Because the atmosphere of worship was not right. The atmosphere of worship was more about money than it was about God. It was more about business than it was about concentrating on the, the sacredness of the privilege of coming before God in worship. And I want to say that I feel in our church through the months and the years that we, we appreciate very much that atmosphere of holiness and respect. And when we start our service with the singing and we, we step into it with our joy and our attitude of faith, then we prepare to listen to what the Lord has to say. And that is happening in this house with this one woman. There's only one woman, and she's worshiping. And she's sitting at Jesus' feet. Imagine. That means to me that you could be home alone and have a spirit of appreciation and respect and listen to what God has to say to you in your heart. Because there's nothing between you. You've dealt with it, or you've admitted it, you've confessed it, or you're coming before him with an open heart, and you're a worshiper. This is beautiful. It's where you're, you, this is how your life changes. But let's say at home I do that, but then maybe I don't do it that much, but I need to learn about it, so I come to the church, because this is also, this is public worship. There are people here. And they don't distract you. 
they shouldn't distract you. They may not intentionally be distracting you. Or you may be distracted in your own mind. That happens, of course. You start looking at people and different things and so on. But this is not, not happening here in this story just now. It happens in life, but I just want to draw your attention to it. It's verse um, um, 39. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, when you listen to the word, you are listening to more than just the sound that's going through the air. You're listening to what the Spirit says. You hear what the Spirit says in the word. How is the word, how am I hearing it? How am I hearing it? Now, I've listened to messages from Dr. Stevens, and I've, I've listened to the message again, and then I listen again, and I go, oh, I didn't hear that before. Well, well I didn't, now, I, now I'm hearing it. Now I'm hearing it. And that, that can happen in the ministry, of course, because um, this is a living word. The Lord maybe says something else to me and to you, and become a listener because listening to God and worship go together. It's one of our, it's one of the things that happens in worship. We begin to hear. We really begin to hear. And we start to hear it and believe it and embrace it and it changes our lives. It also feeds us, builds us up in the inner man, our new identity who I really am in Christ. God is speaking to us. Verse 40. And Martha was cumbered about much serving, so she was distracted. And, of course, that's part of life for all of us. We get distracted when we're doing other things. And she came to him and said, Lord, Lord, don't, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And what would the natural response be? Mary, go help your sister Martha. You're not helping her. You should go help her. That could easily have been said. Martha, thank you for sharing with me your burden. I agree with you. Your sister should be helping you. So Mary, go ahead. Go, go help your sister Martha. She's got a lot of, a lot of kielbasa to make and a lot of bread and a lot of pizza in the oven and a lot of things going on. So you should, you're a Christian, so you should go help her. But he didn't say that. He didn't say that. Not every need out there necessitates my attention. Amen. Not everything that's happening in your family requires your concentration and attention. Not every trouble that is happening out in the world means that I have to show up and help out. Not everything, every knock on the door has to be addressed by you and me. We have something else going on. And they go together, too. I, when you get hearing from the Lord, then you're led by the Lord, and you'll be where you should be by God's grace. We hope so. He orders our steps. What do you think about that? Give an elbow to your neighbor and just say, that's good. Yeah, that's good. How did you hear that? What do you think about that? Huh? What do you think? Listen, the devil wants me, he wants me to make an error in two areas. Either I'm too busy or 
I'm not busy enough. I'm not doing, I'm falling asleep over here. I got nothing to, I'm slothful or lazy or indifferent or I don't care. And the other one is I'm caring too much about the wrong things. I got too much going on over here. Everybody needs me. I remember when I got a pickup truck, they said, they're going to be knocking on your door. Everybody needs a move. They want to borrow the truck and all that, you know. And it didn't really happen, but I understand what they're saying. Uh, and that is, people need you. They need your help. They need your attention. But Jesus said this. He said, you are troubled and distracted by much serving, verse 40. And then verse 41, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are careful, anxious, and troubled about many things. That's a verse for the kitchen. Put that up in the kitchen. (laughs) Ah, For you are careful, worried about so many things. I worried about so many things. Worried about so many things. They're worried about so many things. We got a lot of things that we could worry about. But one thing is needful. Well, so reduce your life to that one thing that is needful and have a good time worshiping Jesus Christ. Have a good time relating to him in your heart and learning the scripture and quoting it and responding to God and building up yourself in the faith and learning to walk by faith. This is one subject I never learned in college. I did not learn that in college. They don't teach that in college, but they they do in Bible college. In Bible college, they say there's one thing needful, one thing I desire, one thing that, uh, that I want, one thing that I need, one thing that is of utmost importance, and that is him and relating to him. And he'll take care of you because he's your heavenly father. Hallelujah. How about it? Wow, what a good congregation today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah, you guys are amazing. Okay, wait a minute. Look at verse, we'll finish up. But one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part. She has chosen that. It's a choice. I decide what goes in my mind. I decide what I do. I got one paragraph I want to read to you. This is maybe going to turn into my message. I didn't plan it like that, but I don't know. I don't know. Here we go. This is interesting. This is from C.S. Lewis. Chastity is the most unpopular of the Christian virtues. There's no getting away from it. The Christian rule is either marriage with complete faithfulness to your partner or else total abstinence. Now, this is so difficult. This is written in 1944, I think, and we're in, we're in 2023. But he's saying this is so difficult and so contrary to our instinct, instincts that obviously either Christianity is wrong or our sexual instinct as it now is has gone wrong. 
Do you know what he's saying? Marriage is the only time to have, the only place for sex, marriage. If I have no marriage, then I have no, I have total abstinence from it. I don't have any, I don't have any sexual relations outside of marriage. I don't have any. And he's saying, this is totally so difficult in the world that they say there's something wrong with Christianity. And then he said, or there's something wrong with my instinct. And he, because he's a Christian, he says, I think it is the instinct that has gone wrong. The drive, the appetite, feeding the appetite. And we read in Romans chapter 1, if you feed that appetite, it'll become perverted. Hello? Has that happened? Imagine the kind of perversion that is happening in our society and everybody jumping up and down and running around saying it is normal, it is acceptable, it is okay. What's your problem? And we say, what is our problem? I say, what is your problem? You, you have a perversion. You are a pedophile. You are a homosexual. You are a transgender this or that. I think there's something wrong. That the instinct has gone wrong. And that, that when it's right, it is so beautiful when a man is married and a woman, they're married and they live in a godly and sacred way, what it does to their mind, what it does in their heart. When they set God at the center of their lives, they will become Holy Spirit will make us a unique kind of person who's not driven by a twisted appetite. An appetite that is proper and in its place. Another thing is the world propagates this idea that you have an instinct for food, so you have an instinct for sex. No, it's not the same. It is not the same. Now I've got to teach it. Turn to 1 Corinthians 6. Wow, I am just, man, okay, okay, here, and this wasn't even my message, but I, it's on my mind, I guess I just want to share it, okay, we'll look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse uh, 12, and he goes through a list of sexual, look at verse 9. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. This is King James. Effeminate refers to the homosexual, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor exorcists shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed, but you are sanctified. It's a miracle. These Corinthians had a changed life. And their appetites changed. They were that way, but they changed. They were regenerated. They were that way, but there is something that happened by the grace of God. And this uh, new image that is in us, born in us, is an image of loving God. Loving righteousness, loving truth, loving God's holiness, loving the nature of God and the nature of God in us, for we are made in the image of God, so we go together. 
God and us, we go together. Now we have, a, we have a, an instinct to eat food. And we eat food. And we enjoy food. I'm getting hungry as I'm talking about it. <laughs> food is one, one thing. But sex is another thing. And this sex, you know, a man can live all his life and not have any sex, and he'll be fine. But you cannot live without food. You have to have food or you will die. You don't have to have sex, and you know that. It's an instinct that is designed by God. Did God invent it? God created it. He created it. He didn't invent it. He created it. He created it. Is God awesome or what? God is. But look at what he says here. Chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful. All things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Like nothing was no appetite... No appetite is going to be controlling my life, but meats are for the belly. The stomach and food go together, and the belly for meats, they go together. But God shall destroy both it and them. It'll be, we'll have a glorified body. The body is not for fornication. The body is not for fornication. But it is for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. But you have to have food. Yes, we must have food, but both will be destroyed one day. They will go to the grave. The food in the belly and the belly in the grave, they both will be destroyed. Regarding fornication, the body is not for fornication. The body is for the Lord. And in that worship, then God gives me the authority over my instinct and my drive. This is the teaching here, and there are experience also. And the Lord, and we are no, we are not perfect, but at the same time, we don't come under the power of our sin nature. We are coming under the power of God's nature. And God has raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. Now, he's not done. Verse 15. Now, he's talking to... Do you know how, how liberal the city of New York City is? you know how liberal it is? you know how woke it is? Do you know how people run around and now they live and there's a lot, not a lot of marriage in New York City? A lot of lonely people, a lot of single people, there's percentage, there's studies on it. A lot of people that are not married and so on. And they live a Corinthian kind of lifestyle. The Corinthians were like New Yorkers. This is what Tim, Timothy Keller says. It's interesting. Verse 15. Know that your body, your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? Does he literally mean that? Yes, he does. Should we take our bodies and go with prostitutes and have a sexual life, an immoral life? Should we do that? And he's arguing, goes, no, Corinthians, no. You used to be that way, but Jesus has changed you. 
And this is the better way. It's a better way. Is it harder? Maybe sometimes it is. It is a struggle. But uh, but don't we have God? And can't God kind of lead us and teach us and train us how to think and how to relate to people and love them and honor them? Like, that's not honoring people. A man is not honoring a woman, just using her. That's not love. And the other way around, it's not God. God's not in that. That's not from God. We are different. We have another kind of way of living, and this is connected to worship. And that was uh, the theme. I got, uh, I got, uh, went in that direction, but it was good, wasn't it? I think it was good. Yeah, so there's more to say about it, but we'll finish. Verse 16. What? Know you not that it which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. By the way, I personally believe that all this sexual activity outside of marriage and all this way of living and thinking is because they're looking for God. I mean, they don't know that, but you need God. The mystery of being joined to God is the key to my hunger and my activity and my moving around and my, my hitting on people or flirtatiously living and thinking and lusting and fascinated and imagining and all of this kind of thing is because I'm spiritually empty. I need Jesus Christ in my life. If I got Christ in my life, he will help me. He will lead me. He will satisfy me. He will control our appetites. But if you want, you let your appetite control your life, you may end up in a lot of trouble one day. I'm not kidding you. Not only you will face God, but you might find in this lifetime yourself in a lot of trouble. Because it is not the way to live. It's from the devil. It's from the world. It's from your flesh. It's not the answer to your life. The world it says it day and night. Hollywood movies, day and night, all the time. Everybody, advertisement, every motorcycle has a girl on it. Everybody trying to sell a car has somebody on the hood of the car. Everybody that's selling a show has some scene in it. Every, it's, it's all the time. But you and I have become something else by worshiping and getting our mind in our hearts before the holy God. And he says, through Jesus Christ, I will take care of you. I will satisfy you. You will be joined unto me. When you are joined unto me, then you have felt you're not joined unto a harlot. You are joined unto me. And he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And that is our joy, is where our peace comes from. Our good health comes from that. Our attitude about living, our respect for people. And hey, by the way, isn't it nice that you have sisters and brothers? Not, not weird weird relationships weird you know like does she like me does she like me or uh, uh some uh i don't know like um atmospheric telepathic connections 
uh, washed in and, and saturated with lust and worldly ambition and ego. Isn't it amazing to be spirit-filled and love our sisters and brothers with purity in heart and to be in a safe place where there's a lot of love and respect for people because of God who made it possible because he loves people and made us holy before him. Amen. Okay, that's all. Okay. Good. took me out of my Egypt, okay? How many Egypts are there? I wonder. How about your Egypt? Did he take you out of your Egypt, huh? Today at the door, somebody said, my Egypt has been myself. Yeah, I've been wrapped up with myself. The Lord took me out of my Egypt, and she had a lot of joy and was excited about it. She showed me her notebook, and she said, you know, this is what I got out of the message, and God took me out of my Egypt. I want you to uh, have a moment of encouragement with each other and just say to your neighbor, uh, God took me out of my Egypt. How about you? Are you stuck? Is Pharaoh your king? Pharaoh in charge of your life, or has God taken you out of your Egypt? All right, our text is Matthew 21 in verse 12. Um, Tuesday night, make a note of it, Tuesday night here in this chapel, we have a special guest, uh, Mark DeMoss. He's going to minister to us. Uh, He's a uh, professional guy who has uh, done PR for Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A and Billy Graham and Liberty University, and uh, he's well-connected and understands. Uh, He wrote a little book called uh, The Little Book of Wisdom, uh, and he's uh, our guest for the day. So uh, he'll be with us in our staff meeting at 11 o'clock in the morning in here. Um, He'll he'll be doing the podcast in this room. And then at night here in the Bible school at 6 o'clock at night, 6 to 8. So, or, uh, yeah, for that block of time. So, Uh, If you can, break away on Tuesday night and come and be with us. You are so welcome. Let's read chapter 21 and verse 12. I want to help you today. I'm glad you came. I want to help. The Lord wants to help you and me. You want to. Thank you for all your prayers for me and the family, the church, and uh, I'm so glad that we're here to worship the Lord. Chapter 21, verse 12. Jesus went into the temple of God. When you go into the house of God, remember Psalm 84, 2 and 3, 
The psalmist said, I saw that the sparrows have a place in the house of God. The lonely birds, the birds have a place in the house of God. If you are lonely, you're one of the many Americans, I think 30% of them say that they are lonely, that people are lonely, but there's a place for you in the tabernacle. How amiable are his tabernacles. And Jesus went to the temple, and he looked around, and he cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. These are religious businesses. These are people that use, um, they say, I heard this story about a brother who wanted to do a Chinese restaurant, and then he thought, I could do used cars, and then he thought, well, I could start a church. So he did that. It was a business plan. Imagine. I don't think you could imagine that. I'll start a restaurant or sell used cars. No, no, there's a better way. I'll start a church. Can you imagine? Well, that is so foreign to us because we got here by a trail of tears. You know, we got to where we are through the cross. We got here by the spirit of joy and love without money in the picture. But when Jesus looked at the house of God, imagine it's a den of thieves and robbers. He's quoting from Jeremiah, I believe. Jeremiah said that. And he sees it. So what about worship? When we come to the house of God, I know you, I know you, I know you. You are coming with faith and a pure heart. And you want God in the meeting. Not to grieve the Spirit of God. Sometimes we leave things at the door when we're coming across the parking lot or in the car. I remember being in Israel one time. We went to the tomb. And some of you folks were, I think Thelma was with us. And we went there uh, to in Jerusalem. And a tour guide was a godly man from the U.K., and he had a few minutes with us, and he talked to us before. He said, we are going to go in the tomb by two by two. And if you're a family, you can go in there as a family. And I was sitting outside watching our people go, in, go into the tomb where Jesus was buried. Allegedly, he was buried there. And, he, and the tour guide said, when you go in, leave something in there. There's something in your heart, something in your life. And if you're a family and you have problems with each other, go into the tomb together and leave something inside. Leave it there. And that was a beautiful thing. I saw some people come out weeping, and afterwards, without detail, they just said, we did. I left something in there. And it's over. It's over. I'm not bringing it out. It died with Jesus. It was buried with Jesus. It's over. That's the way you and I, that's why we go to church, because 
We are worshipers of a holy God who took care of our stuff. He took care of our stuff. We have it. This is where Jesus is saying, my house cannot be a bingo parlor, a psychological counseling center. My house is not a place for gathering money and uh, people's ego and power struggles. And this is mine, and this is mine, and this is, you know, this is about, you know, this, I, you know, me. No. Worship is, is without Egypt. Remember Moses said to Pharaoh, but you got to let my people go. We'll go out in the wilderness and worship God. And Pharaoh said, who is God? Exodus 5, verse 2. Who is the Lord? I don't know him. I don't know him. You got to go back to work. You got to work harder. You're wasting your time. You got time to think about God? Well, now I'm going to give you more work to do. You cannot think about God. When you're in Egypt, it's not about God. It's about Egypt. It's about Pharaoh. It's about you being a slave. Get it out of your mind. You're not worshiping. You are not worshiping. That's the devil. He doesn't like it. When we worship, we find Christ. So he fills the church with thieves and robbers and liars and, and all kinds of stuff that can be filled up in hard, hard labor and legalism and emptiness and boredom. It's like, are you kidding me? This is the greatest thing going on the earth is the worship of God. The angels do it day and night in heaven. Why would they do it every day, all, all the time? Why would they do it? But that it, it is the nature of it. When we see the reality of God, we are in awe. When we see the reality of the God that made the heavens and the earth, we are, we are just overwhelmed by the reality of God. That's the thing that's missing in the human heart. That he doesn't know why he is here. He doesn't know why he's been made. He doesn't know who his creator is. He doesn't know the mind of the creator. And when Jesus went and he saw this, he was angry. And he turned the tables over. And these were not card tables. These were not like little wooden tables like these things. These are stone tables. These are permanent part of the fixture of the temple furniture. This is serious. This is in the courtyard, not inside, because Jesus didn't go inside, because he wasn't of the tribe of Levi. He was of the tribe of David. And he didn't come be that kind of priest. He became this kind that is in heaven today on our behalf, representing us before the Father. And the Holy of Holies, not made by hands, but made by that is made, that is God's place. And you and I come before God Almighty as worshipers of God. That's why he's saying, uh, this cannot be. Verse 13. <clears throat> and he said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Back in the days of the communist empire, the communist world, we were living in Finland and we crossed the Baltic Sea to go to the Soviet Union and got in a car that was waiting for us. This is when it was illegal 
Uh, I mean, the churches were persecuted. No one under 18 years of age was allowed to go to the church. Uh, we did sometimes, we went to this house out in the countryside for a prayer meeting. It was all day prayer, all night and all day. And I was in, there for some hours. Now I was in the presence of these Soviet Russian people in this secret prayer meeting. And the house was filled with uh, people that just came and left for prayer. And it was sacred. And they were there because they, they wanted to do it. And they were there because they wanted to meet God. And they were there because uh, um, they, 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 uh, because they were led, because they had the hunger and the desire. And God did not fail to satisfy them. He was there answering the prayer and answering the cry of the heart for God. This is a hunger that happens when you and I meet Christ and we walk with Christ. There is that hunger that we have that is normal. Now, in the beginning of our service, I said something about sex that can disturb people. That's a good thing for us to be disturbed in this lifetime. I'd rather be disturbed in this lifetime than to suffer a loss in the next one. I'd rather get straightened out and find the real living God who's able to control my appetite than to be like, cut my hand off here and gain eternal life than to lose something very precious and important to us all. Verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. What? Yeah, when was the last time somebody blind and lame was healed? In the church, when, when in the temple, when the whole thing was straightened out and Jesus is there. People's needs get met. People get to hear the Son of God. People's needs, their lives are changed. Blind and the lame. What's the lame person? You know, they can't walk so well, right? They now are, they can now like run. The blind, they can't see. Now they see. But this was literal, but we could say it figuratively. That we also that can't walk very well, we are able to run and we can't see so well. But now we are seeing the important things in life. Where did it happen? In the house of God. God has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. God has a lot to say to us. God is our teacher. God is a lot to reprove us, correct us, instruct us in the way. God has something for us to fill our hearts. So you don't have to run around from one thing to another trying to satisfy that emptiness that is happening in the heart. But we have found the living, the Lord. Okay. Um, I'm reading from one of pastor's booklets, one of Pastor Stevens, who was the founder of our church 50 years ago. Many of us uh, discipled by him and the body during those years. And he says, 
unless there is a revolutionary change in Christianity throughout our country, the years ahead may be called the years of the cobra and the viper. Many will be infected by the venom transmitted by the serpent Satan. It doesn't have to be this way. God has promised, promised to prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. For some, the next few years will be the years of feasting at the table of grace, years of serving in brokenness, humility, meekness, and obedience. God wants us to hear every single word from the Bible so we will not live in preoccupation with ourself, presuppositions about people, or presumptions about the past. What does he mean about the venom of the cobra and the viper? I think he means that in our society, we have a lot of lies, a lot of venom, a lot of propaganda, a lot of messages, like we said it in the introduction. But if I have a table that's prepared by God, and if this is our table, and if this book is at our table, and if the Spirit is bringing out of the book the things that I need to hear that prepare me for the day I live in, then we'll do fine. We'll overcome the enemy. We have an antidote for the venom, a serum, or the venom that can uh, infect us and turn us away from God. But we have found that Jesus is saying, like he comes into the temple, he goes, no, this cannot be. Clean it out. Let's become hearers and embrace it and follow the truth. I think when we do, it gets better and better. Psalm 36, 9, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. I really believe that. That the Spirit will anoint you. You will sing. Let's, let's learn. Let's look at another closing part is uh, Ephesians 5. <clears throat> About worship. Verse 14. I'm going to close here in a minute. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. Christ shall give you light. Don't be condemned, please. Don't condemn yourself. Don't be condemned. Be built up. Jesus Christ is for you. No matter No matter what. Be built up in grace. Grace is able to build you up. Be strong in grace. Be strong in your new identity. You are not your sin, Romans 7. No, you walk, rise from the dead, Christ shall give you light. He will give you light, Psalm 119, 133. The entrance of your word gives light, understanding to the simple. Verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. Now, how do you walk? Circumspectly is that word acro, acros, and we have that English word acrobat, 
and you think of an acrobat walking along an edge, an acrobat, he has to walk accurately. He has to walk circumspectly. He has to be aware of what he's doing, and he's able to do it because he walks correctly. It's the same way with us. When you and I become worshipers of God, we don't have time or place or space in our mind or heart for the foolishness of our sins. We walk accurately, doctrinally, and hear the word that is able to deliver us and cleanse us. The word is able to build us up and teach us how to live. This is uh, connected with the worship here. Watch. It says, redeeming the time, like using the time. Could I say one thing here? I, I know I can. I'm just, it's a phrase I use. I don't know. I would change it. All right. Listen. You know, when I started to go to church, I came to this church, and they said, you go twice on Sunday. And I go, wow, like once, if I go once, can I go to heaven? I mean, if I go twice, what, what's the, I get, what, what happens? No, no, three times you go on Wednesday also. I go three times a week we go to church? Wow. Yeah, but I used to run around with my friends three times a week. I went to the bar room three times a week. I would goof around and play play Monopoly, play cards, play cards three times. Watch TV, Wild Kingdom. That was one of my favorite shows when I was young. The Wild Kingdom. Like I would watch that. I watch. Um, I love Lucy. My father knows best. Leave it to Beaver. I would watch those shows. And now, now I would just say, now I'm not watching TV, but I'm going to church. And I would kind of wait it out. And I said, I'll give it a try. I just kept going to church. And I went to Bible school. And that was even more hours per week. My parents would say to me, what are you doing? And they go, I'm going to church. They go, every time I call you, you're going to church. Well, where do you do? I go, I go all the time. I go every day. I'm going all the time. Why would you do that? You're not a religious person. I go, I, well, I guess I became one. I don't know what, ha- what happened. It was, it was my new family. It was a lot of fun. We jump in the car. We went places. We evangelize. We go swimming. We get in trouble. We went to the dump to shoot rats with our 22s. In Bible school. That was our entertainment. After Bible school class, we'd go to the, the junk, the dump, and where the rats were, we would shoot them with our 22, come back, you know, like, like heroes. I had so much fun in Bible school. I went, I did the secular school thing, I'd done the TVs, I've done the movies, I'd done all that stuff, and then I found Jesus Christ. And he guided me in a life of adventure and faith. Now listen, we, many of us have lived in other countries. How did you get there? Jesus did it. Where did you live? I lived in four countries. How did you do it? What happened? Weren't you lonely? Didn't you? No, it was amazing. Jesus was with us. 
Well, what did you, we witnessed the people, you had, had no idea. We had the president of Hungary come to our apartment with the security guys, and we had a team meeting with the president of the country in our apartment. Yeah, can you imagine that? Many other stories that we could talk about, things that happened. Now, what, what, what my point is, not that, my point is this. Is this God that we're talking about? Is this the one that loves you? Is he, can we give him some time? Do we redeem the time or make good use of our time when we are following him and trusting him? Yes, you can go fishing. Yes, you could do this or that. Yeah, but God will do that. God will lead you and show you how to use your time. God will help you and make you fruitful and productive and bless you in your ministry. Yes, your ministry. Yes, God has called you that you and I would have a table in the presence of our enemies and that God would use us in our life of faith. He does. Amen. That's the end. Okay, let's have a moment, just a moment, just say, let the Lord minister to you in your heart today. No condemnation in Christ, no, new life, just say that to yourself, I have a new life, I am, I'm a new creation, I am forgiven, God is my Father, I come to worship and relate to him. And just say to Jesus, I believe in you. I'm trusting you. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Lead me in a new way. Guide and lead me at the table that's prepared for me in this world. I will not succumb to the venom of this world the poison that destroys and ruins people's lives. I'm I submitted to you, Lord. I seek you and find you. I trust you with all my heart. Yes, Lord, I trust you. Lead and guide me in your grace and in your love. In your name, I pray. Anyone saying that for the first time, just raise your hand. Anybody coming to Christ today? Just raise your hand. Just say yes to Jesus. This is my birthday. This is the day I'm accepting Christ. For me, it was October 31st, 1971, when I made a decision. I wrote down the date, and I said, this is the day I accepted Jesus. Do you have a day when you said with definite attitude, yes, maybe you don't remember the day, that's fine. But somehow you say in your heart, "That's this is it. I'm trusting in Jesus and I'm coming to him. Anyone at all? Raise your hand. Anybody? Amen. Thank you. God bless you.